Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Have you ever plotted out something, and then in practice, it didn't quite go the way that you thought it would go when it was on paper? Either it wasn't as in-depth as you wanted it to be, it didn't strike the right tone, or maybe it wasn't as long as you thought it was going to be. Things like that happen during the transition between paper and reality. That's kind of what happened to me when I was writing the outline to this show. I thought I'd have a good 35, 40 minutes and would have to cut it back the way I normally do, but... I don't know how much time we're going to cover today. This could be a short episode. But I want to start right off the bat by doubling back on a topic that it continues to permeate Bill's Mafia. And that's the topic of an addition at wide receiver. I've talked before that I felt that Gabriel Davis was fine. Limited, inconsistent, but fine. He was okay. And one of the topics that's been popular on social media, around the water coolers, I'm sure, I don't spend a lot of time around water coolers, but it feels like it would be, is that what do you think wide receiver two production looks like? And how does Gabriel Davis line up to that? I want to take a different angle on that. I want to talk about capacity. In an offense. And of course, when you're talking about capacity in a passing game, then you spell capacity C-A-P-A-S-S-I-T-Y. Capacity. Just a nice little clever turn of phrase. A brucism, if you will. And I'm defining capacity, the A-S-S version of capacity, as the availability in an offense for a larger totality of impact from your pass catchers. The availability in an offense for a larger totality of impact from your pass catchers. This is one of the topics, one of the things that we can actually steal from the fantasy football community. It's one of those things that they're onto that actually applies in actual football. The Bills were eighth in the NFL in pass attempts per game. Josh Allen led the league in air yards by over 300 despite playing basically one entire fewer game than the rest of the quarterbacks. He was third in the NFL in average distance per target. So the Bills are throwing the ball a lot and they're throwing the ball far. So as far as yardage goes, there is a greater capacity for it in the Bills offense than in most. As such... We shouldn't be comparing wide receiver to production that we receive from Gabriel Davis to wide receiver production that is available in an offense 
that has lower capacity. They throw the ball less. They don't throw the ball as deep. How much is there available? Right? What is the capacity? And that's the way we need to be thinking of it. How big is the pie? We spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about pie. Now, most of the time, it's plurality pie. Sometimes it's how pie is better than cake because it is better than cake. Pie is the superior dessert. And cheesecake doesn't count because cheesecake is actually a tart. But other times, it's about pie, like, you know, 3.14 pie. But most often, we're talking about pie in regards to plurality pie. But this is another example of pie coming into play. How big is the pie? So we're not going to talk about how large the slice is, because how large the slice is, is really relative to how big the pie is. Well, he's got a completely reasonable slice of pie. Well, sure, he's got a completely reasonable slice of pie. But... The pie on the Bills' side is so much bigger than the pie on the Ravens' side and the pie on the Atlanta Falcons' side. Do you remember when we were talking about Marcus Mariota's performance in QB's 2? Week 4, Week 8, Week 12, we talked about Marcus Mariota and we said over and over and over again, yes, he's being really efficient. There is a very significant volume issue in the Atlanta Falcons' offense. So when we talk about average wide receiver two production, why are we lumping the Falcons in with that? The Falcons wide receiver two production or second pass catching target, if you don't want to use a wide receiver, secondary pass catching target production. Why are we using that? The capacity of the Atlanta Falcons team is vastly inferior to the capacity of the Buffalo Bills team. Again, this is something we can actually glean from the fantasy football community. If you look at something like Gabriel Davis's expected fantasy points per game, which would be based on air yards and targets and things like that, it's 10.6 per game. His actual fantasy points per game was 11.4. It's 36th in the NFL. His air yards were 16th in the NFL. His air yard share was 34th in the NFL. His ADOT was 6th in the NFL. He had the 12th most deep targets. There was opportunity out there for Gabriel Davis. He ran the fourth most routes in the NFL against man coverage. 320. His win rate versus man was 30.9%, which was 78th in the NFL. There's capacity in this Bills passing attack. Gabriel Davis was just the same guy. I don't know why we're going to bash him for being a very similar guy to the way he was the first two years. He was just the very similar guy. He just got more of the same thing that you already got before. I say all this not to bash Gabriel Davis. I say this because there's capacity in this Bills offense. One of the discussions last year when I said, hey, you know, I don't think Bill's wide receiver room is quite as good. Well, what are you going to do? Add someone? You're going to take away from Gabriel Davis? No, I'm sick and tired of people like Emmanuel Sanders taking away from Gabriel Davis. You need to be unleashed. You need to unleash free Gabriel Davis. Okay? Gabriel Davis is freed. And you got more of the same thing that you already got the last two years. Maybe there's capacity for a number two receiver who's not Gabriel Davis. 
Maybe there's capacity in this offense to have Gabriel Davis still do all those same things just as a number three target instead of a number two. Now, a number two target can take the lots of different ways. In Kansas City, Travis Kelsey is the number one target. Number two target can be your slot receiver. So we can have a discussion over stylistically, qualitatively, the type of number two target that you would want. But there is capacity in this offense for more. There's capacity in this offense. You throw the ball a lot, and you throw it deep. dot is high. Pass attempts are high. There's a lot of yardage possibilities out there. Josh Allen threw for 4,283 yards this year. Gabriel Davis received 836 of those yards. That's 19.5%. So 19.5% of the total Josh Allen yards went to Gabriel Davis. Let's look at some other teams that threw the ball a lot, right? That had significant capacity. So Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, 4,694 yards. His second most targeted player, Mike Evans, got 1,124 yards. That represents 24% of all the yardage that Tom Brady threw. Justin Herbert for the Chargers threw for 4,739 yards. The second most targeted player on that team was Josh Palmer, who received 769 yards on the year. 16.2%. Guess what? The Chargers might cut Keenan Allen, and there's a significant portion of discussion going on in the Chargers fan base about adding a wide receiver. They're not like, well, yeah, we're good. Josh Palmer, we're fine. That There's capacity there for more. There's meaningful discussion about adding a wide receiver too. Kirk Cousins, Minnesota. Passing attempts per game. We're just going down the list of passing attempts per game. People who threw the ball a lot. 4,547 yards for Kirk Cousins in 2022. Their second most targeted receiver was Adam Thielen, who had 716 yards. That's 15.7% of the passing yards available went to their wide receiver too. And guess what? They're also wondering if they should go out and get a wide receiver too. A lot of people aren't really sold on K.J. Osborne as being that guy. Let's keep going. We're going to skip over Arizona because Kyler Murray got hurt with enough time left in the year that it probably skews a lot of the math. But let's go to Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes, 5,250 passing yards in 2022. The second most targeted player on the Chiefs was Juju Smith-Schuster, who caught 933 yards receiving this year. That's 17.8%. They're talking about wide receiver next year. Is Kadarius Toney going to be enough of the guy? They're all talking about that. Sky Moore, can he step up? I heard some talk about Zay Flowers, which that wouldn't be fun, I think, seeing him on the Kansas City offense. They're talking about wide receiver too because they know there's capacity there. There's opportunity, and it's not just because Juju is on a one-year contract. There's a capacity for more. So we just went through four teams that are right there in the neighborhood, 
of Buffalo when it comes to passing attempts per game, how their second most targeted player performed as far as percentage, what's the dominator rating if you want to go that far? What percentage of the team's passing yards did that one player get? And all of them are talking about wide receiver twos that they could potentially go pick up. The one who's not thinking about that is Tampa Bay. They're saying, okay, you know, Godwin, Mike Evans. I know Mike Evans has been subject to some trade rumors, but if he doesn't end up leaving, they're not talking about a wide receiver two right now, except for maybe someone to take over for Mike Evans from a succession planning standpoint. Cincinnati's not talking about it with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. But all the other teams who are throwing the ball a lot realize they have capacity for more. So does Buffalo. I'm not saying Gabriel Davis is terrible. He's not. But there's capacity for more. And let's assume for a second that you don't buy any of this. You say, hey, I, 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 just, I, I, I think Gabriel Davis is a star. He's just being underutilized. Okay. Are you cool with playing Gabriel Davis? next year, and then paying him $17.5 million a year? Because if he has another year that looks very similar to this year, is it unreasonable to think he's going to get somewhere between a Christian Kirk contract and a Hunter Renfro contract? Because that would be what that looks like. You going to pay him that? I put a poll up on Twitter, 93% of people who responded said, yeah, no, I'm not interested in paying Gabriel Davis that. So the people who are currently under contract for the Buffalo Bills at wide receiver for 2024 are Stephon Diggs and Khalil Shakir. That's it. That's the end of the list. Even if you like Gabriel Davis, you got to draft someone strictly as succession. Even if you think he's a guy, unless you think he's a guy and we cannot let him get away and we got to pay him $17.5 million, and I don't think there's a lot of you out there who believe that, you still need to draft someone that you're at least going to feel comfortable with. You got to draft one. And you got to draft one probably high so you can feel comfortable with this moving forward. Draft a wide receiver, there's capacity. The Bills threw the ball a ton. They threw the ball deep. There was a lot of potential yardage out there. Remember, Josh Allen led the league in air yards by over 300. <laughs> There's potential all the way out there for Josh Allen in this passing offense. Nobody throws the ball as far cumulatively as the Buffalo Bills did. There's a lot of opportunity for passing yards. Let's go get somebody to help us capitalize on that opportunity. So, let's have some fun with minutia here. Think about how differently some might feel about the departure of wide receivers coach Chad Hall if he would have carried the title pass game coordinator during his time in Buffalo. We were all, including me, like, Ugh. I don't love losing Chad Hall because he's spoken so highly of by all the wide receivers who have been under his tutelage. But I just found it interesting 
that our entire dynamic would shift if he was the passing game coordinator. If he was someone who was helping Ken Dorsey with route concepts, which have come under fire a little bit this offseason. I just think that's interesting. That one little tiny title probably changes the way we view his departure. While we're on the topic of Buffalo Bills wide receivers coach, they made a hire today. At the time I'm recording this, it was today. And the Buffalo Bills hired Adam Henry as the wide receiver coach. Henry famously coached at LSU and coached with the Giants and coached with the Browns, all of which came with a certain wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. Recently, he was Indiana University's co-offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach. Let the games begin. I am going to have to have the Odell Beckham thing all over again now. And with Odell Beckham, the discussion for me is going to be money. I'm not opposed to Odell Beckham in a vacuum as a wide receiver for this team. Absolutely not. It's going to be about the contract. It's going to be about, is this a Michael Gallup contract? Is this a Hunter Renfro contract? Is this a Christian Kirk contract? It's always going to be about the money. But Jeremy White from WGR brought it up on social media today. Even if they brought in Odell Beckham, I still want to draft a receiver. Because that means you have two wide receivers now who are at or pushing 30 years old. So if you want to sign him, that's okay. But I'm really interested in the contract. And please, for the love of all this holy and sacred, draft a wide receiver high. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about capacity. We talked about Adam Henry, the new wide receivers coach for the Buffalo Bills. Talked about Odo Beckham a little bit. I want to hit a couple quick things here, and then I'll try and get out of here. The whole Chad Hall departure thing kind of brought back the whole why and how are more important interrogatives than what? Because why is absolutely more important than what? Which is why assuming the why is so dangerous. I saw some stuff on social media that inspired me to do this segment of podcast. Chad Hall's contract was up. Maybe he wanted a path to an offensive coordinator job he thought was better. And after interviewing for a few offensive coordinator jobs this offseason, the feedback that he got indicated that a change might be better. Maybe his wife wanted to move to Florida. Maybe it's all that simple. The why that we create in a vacuum tends to gravitate toward the pull on which we're already standing. I'm going to repeat that. The why we create in a vacuum tends to gravitate toward the pole on which we're already standing. If we already think everything is amazing, we will fill the vacuum with a why that is favorable. If we already think everything is doomed, we will then fill the vacuum with a why that is unfavorable. So if you believe that everything is doom and gloom and the team is on fire, then in the absence of you knowing why Chad Hall left, you will populate it 
with a Y that is unfavorable. You will populate it with the Y that is he's fleeing a sinking ship. Offensive coaches don't want to work for Sean McDermott. That's what you will populate it with. We have to resist the urge to fill the vacuum by projecting our predispositions onto it. Because then you end up spiraling. You've created a why based on your predisposition. And that why now you have taken as truth. And that truth then reinforces the predisposition you already had. And this is how you spiral. The same thing happens, positively speaking. When you already think everything is amazing, then everything why must have a great reason. Well, I'm sure it was awesome. Trust the process. He knows what he's doing. Big baller bean, right? Because we don't like vacuums. We don't like to be absent the why because we know that it's more important than what. That's why our brain fills it. Our brain fills it automatically because we know it's more important than what. We know the why matters. But if you don't actually know the why, if you don't know for sure why Chad Hall left, I know it's tempting. Just leave it. Just leave it. Just accept that maybe you don't know the why. Because otherwise, your attempt to fill it with incomplete data is going to reinforce whatever you currently believe. Even if what you currently believe is wrong. Because the problem isn't the polls. Positive fans aren't intrinsically bad. Negative fans aren't intrinsically bad. The militant fans are the ones that are bad regardless of their alignment. It's not on the poll that you stand on. That doesn't matter. It's the attitude toward the people who don't stand on the poll on which you stand. And you become more and more dug in, more and more dug in, because you're extrapolating your own why into this vacuum. You don't have the information, so you're projecting yourself into it and you're creating a reality, you're fabricating a why, that then makes you upset or then makes you more and more militantly positive, because that's a thing too. You get angry when someone else isn't as positive as you. That's an angry, militant, positive fan. You see them all the time during the honeymoon phase of a new regime. And then once the publics decide to turn on them, then everything flips. So be careful. Be mindful. It's like the force. You must be mindful of your feelings. You must be mindful of your predisposition because you know that in the absence of a why, in that vacuum, you will project yourself into it. Saw a lot of Ken Dorsey discussion on social media after the Super Bowl. This is going to be a really quick point. Wanting Ken Dorsey to be better is reasonable and encouraged. I want him to be better too. Wanting him to be Andy Reid probably isn't. Andy Reid is one of the best offensive minds in football. Period. Wanting Ken Dorsey to be better, and specifically we can talk about the reasons why we want to be better. I said early on that he, I don't think he's pressing enough easy buttons for Josh Allen. I think that's a reasonable ask of him. Wanting him to be Andy Reid is not reasonable. A ton of people aren't Andy Reid. Most people aren't Andy Reid. If you hold your quarterback to that standard, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in a lot of trouble. It's about crossing the threshold of good enough. Is it good enough? Not is it the best. There can only be one best. 
You can't have the best quarterback, the best offensive mind, the best head coach, the best defensive coordinator, the best at, you can't have the best at everything. You just try and get to good enough in as many places as possible. So we're looking for growth from Ken Dorsey. And that's cool. But I hear a lot. Why can't we just use Dawson Knox the way the Chiefs use Travis Kelsey? Because Andy Reid, that's why. Travis Kelsey was asked how he's always open. He goes, Andy Reid, that's why. Also, Travis Kelsey is one of the best tight ends in football history. So wanting Ken Dorsey to be better, totally encouraged, totally reasonable. Holding him to Andy Reid is probably unreasonable and you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Jordan Poyer mentioned that the front office didn't extend a contract offer to him. The exact quote was, I don't know how the front office feels about bringing me back. I was never offered anything. That was a hubbub in Bill's Mafia and social media. I 100% believe this. I 100% believe that the front office did not offer Jordan Boyer a contract. And for those of you who may be out there who think that that's disrespectful, I would pose this question. If you don't want someone back for what you think their market's going to be, what would you rather them do? Lowball the crap out of them in training camp? I think they'd rather get no offer than a really low offer. If you've decided as a franchise, hey, you know what, we're going to have to make a difficult decision. We're not going to be able to bring this guy back. He's 32 years old. I don't think we can do it. What else would you rather them do? Because... What the Packers did with Micah Hyde is they told him flat out, hey, we're not going to offer you a contract. That that upset him pretty good. You could lowball him and upset him that way. There isn't a good way to handle this because players are prideful. That's the way it works. They believe emphatically in their own abilities. Most of them were the best players in their high school or the best players in their college. and They were really, really good. They've always been really, really good. So I 100% believe they didn't offer him a contract. I also don't know how else you would have wanted them to have handled it. I can't believe I'm defending the front office two weeks after I spent an entire podcast being very critical of them for not hitting home runs, specifically in the draft and even through free agency. But that's the truth. The truth is if that they decided that they weren't going to bring Jordan Poyer back because they knew they were going to have tough financial decisions and they want to prioritize other things, there really wasn't a good way to do that. If you lowball him, he gets upset. You tell him that you're not going to offer him a deal, he gets upset. Or you don't offer him anything, he gets upset. There's just no good way to do that. Being openly honest with him up front, is going to make him upset. Lowballing him, that's going to make him upset. Not making him an offer, that's going to make him upset. There isn't a good way to do this. So I believe it, and I'm not upset at the front office for it. Last thing I want to talk about. The best time to reflect on draft takes is before the next draft takes come. We get so worried about talking, we don't do enough reflecting. I think one of the reasons why it's a possibility that I missed on Malik Willis is because I missed on Josh Allen and overcorrected. That's a possibility. 
I didn't value the tools significantly enough with Josh Allen, and I valued them too much with Malik Willis. I spent a lot of time reflecting on that for myself. Now, the book isn't written on Malik Willis at all, but now is a good time to reflect on stuff like that. I'll give you a great example. Last offseason, I spent a significant amount of time fighting what I thought was a losing battle against a lot of people in Bill's Mafia about Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle from the University of Georgia. And I said, listen, Jordan, Jordan's awesome. Jordan Phillips is awesome. You can't take a two-down player in the first round. He has to be able to meaningfully contribute on passing downs a lot. If he plays 30% of the snaps, 28% of the snaps, that's not good enough for a first-round pick. That is 100% not good enough. Jordan Phillips played 10 snaps in the Super Bowl. During the games he was active, he played 26% of the snaps. Jordan Davis played well. I was pleased with what the Eagles got from Jordan Davis overall. That's not nearly enough. That's not making a significant enough impact. That's the equivalent of having a gadget player on offense that you spend a first-round pick on. That's what that is. If you had spent a first-round pick on a player who gave you Isaiah McKenzie snaps, would you be happy with that? And not even Isaiah McKenzie 2022. Isaiah McKenzie circa 2020 and 2021 when he was getting 25 and 24% of the snaps. That's the kind of snap count that the Eagles got from Jordan Davis. Now, again, it's a directional trend. It's one year. It's not time to spike the ball. It's not time to write off Malik Willis. It's not time to write off Jordan Davis. But you keep an eye on these things. And it matters. Isaiah Spiller was my RB1 last year. He got drafted by the Chargers. He got hurt. And when he came back, he was RB3 for them. My take on Isaiah Spiller being RB1 doesn't look so great. Now, again, part of it's opportunity. Injury and Austin Eckler in front of him. But when he came back, he couldn't have been RB2? Did I not value explosive traits enough with Isaiah Spiller? This idea that we talked about last week about the eye test, we have to constantly be doubting it. We have to constantly be reevaluating it so we can get better. The best possible time to evaluate your draft takes from last year and the year before is before you make them for this year. So if you're someone like me who had draft takes last year, now's the time. Go back. Check on that stuff. Evaluate it. I got it wrong. Why did I get it wrong? I got it right. Why did I get it right? And let's keep growing together. And let's try and be better this year than we were last year. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you just say, hey, you know what, Bruce? Shoot or shoot. I'm just going to keep shooting. Who cares about anything? I'm just going to shoot. Well... That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.
Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. 